0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Dempsey. Ryan is the managing partner at East End Group. They are a national self-performing facilities maintenance company. I am excited for him to join us today. Welcome to the show, Ryan.
1: Thanks, Chris, happy to
0: be here. So Ryan, tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what East End Group does.
1: Yeah, so I'm Ryan Dempsey, the managing partner, uh, of East End Group, we're a national facility maintenance firm, like you said. Um, so we handle everything from exterior services, from landscape, snow, asphalt, concrete repairs, you know, from um, one facility to a, you know, our largest portfolio is over a thousand buildings, um, as well as interior services, which could be from general handyman services, electrical, plumbing, mechanical, um, and small renovation stuff
0: lot of stuff under one umbrella. Exactly.
1: We try to be the go-to partner for our customers, um, you know, and our client partners that we're a one-stop shop that they can c- call us for, you know, a single project or do a, you know, a big rollout of, you know, multiple projects, multiple trades all under one umbrella and know that we have it taken care of for them. Terrific.
0: Well, I want to get into it a little bit. So 2020, was an interesting year for managing facilities. Tell the audience a little bit what that was like for you. There's a lot of things there, whether it's the mitigation of the spread of a virus to natural disasters that happened across the country, to riots. There was a lot of things that happened. Tell us what 2020 was like for you and some of the things you all did to kind of get to the other side.
1: Yeah, no, 2020 was definitely the year that it felt like every week was something new and something unheard of. Um, there was always something going on, whether it was in the beginning of COVID starting to spread and stores closing, and facilities going through that hurdle of, hey, what are we closing down, and what are we going to, you know, mitigate to make sure on a facility standpoint that the building was ready for that. Then to reopening of stores and seeing what that looked like. So that was, you know, disinfectant services, you know, extra hand sanitizer. Um, floor markings, customer pickup areas, and, you know, exterior of buildings. And once you finally got that going, we saw a ton of disasters across the country, whether it was hurricanes coming through that were causing tree damage in parking lots and roof leaks and um, property damage. Um, And then we went into riots of board-ups of facilities, and it was everything thrown at us in one start, you know, this winter was another winter to remember, you know, most uh, snow markets saw abnormally high snow conditions. So it was a snowstorm every week, you know, the Northeast saw snow, I think almost every day for the month of February, um, seeing more snow than the last two years combined.
0: Yeah, we have. We certainly have. What were some of the things that you did to enable you, you guys to really succeed in managing the facilities during covid
1: we've seen it decrease a lot as stores start to go opening reopening and getting back into, you know, just the public's eye of a normal kind of scenario. Um, we're still doing disinfecting services regularly at stores. Um, we're still going in and taking care of stuff that for facilities that are still not open or have less capacity. So it's revamping PM schedules that, you know, something could have been serviced on a monthly basis. Now might only need to be done on a quarterly um or stuff that should have was only being done on a quarterly is now being done on a weekly or a daily basis. So it's really adapting those service levels and figuring out what the facility usage looks like going forward. I think is one of been, been the biggest thing that we've been noticing. And do you
0: all do more than just retail?
1: Yeah, so we're in, you know, retail segment, we're in the utility market. Um, we do a lot of you know, HOA and homeowners associations on the exterior services. So we're seeing it across multiple different industries and some have um, been shut down longer. Some have not stopped. You know, we do a lot in the utility space. So whether that's electric companies, gas companies, telecommunications, they didn't have the luxury of stopping uh, throughout it. So they had to go above and beyond to ensure that, hey, critical services were, you know, stayed 100% throughout the pandemic. So for a lot of utilities, we went into, um, on their critical sites, actually uh, sequestered and quarantined those employees in control rooms. So we actually designed and built, um, call them mobile trailer parks in those facilities, that they actually kept every employee on site. So we brought in motorhomes, generators, shower trailers, laundry trailers, and created a complete village in that parking lot where employees lived for months. Uh, to make sure that the critical services were delivered to all these retailers, homeowners, and, you know, the public.
0: Wow. had no idea that was happening. <laughs> yeah. And we had uh, probably about a
1: thousand, you know, of our assets out in the field, uh, mobilized from food services we got involved with and pretty much anything you would need to, you know, run in your home. We ran for these people at their facilities.
0: Wow. I had no idea.
1: Yeah. It was definitely uh, you know, it was at the height of it. And, you know, we went from when that was one of the plans that got initiated with one of our utility customers. And we expanded probably into 20 new customers throughout the the process as it unfolded really from say March of last year, all the way through July.
0: Had you ever done anything like that before?
1: We've done it on more of the natural disaster. Um, So we do a lot of utility work and, you know, storm damages during tropical storms and stuff. We do a lot with municipalities um on that kind of cleanup work so we've been in that realm but never when it was beautiful and sunny and you're setting these up normally you're going into a flood zone or you know a damaged area it, it was kind of more of it felt like a drill than uh actually what it was
0: Wow. that's fascinating i was going to ask what was the number one challenge your organization had in 2020 i don't know if you've already highlighted it just now but If you had to tell the audience from a facilities perspective, what was the number one challenge you dealt with in 2020?
1: The number one challenge we dealt with was really still operating at, we probably operated in the beginning at the height of the pandemic at probably 200%, you know, compared to our normal speed and trying to deal with the challenges of every other business not operating at that speed that we were. So whether it was trying to get material or suppliers that we rely on to help our business operate, getting them on that same page and find selecting those suppliers that were able to meet the demands that we had, you know, material backlogs have been through the roof just with construction increasing on the residential market side of just a simple, you know, a simple toilet that you could go anywhere to pick up now has a lead time, you know, um, and trying to get that material to still perform the job that we need to get done. It's been a still a overwhelming challenge.
0: Yeah. We're seeing it as well for sure. I think all property owners are seeing that as well. Do you guys have a view on when that backlog starts to unlock?
1: From what we're getting from a lot of our suppliers, they say probably at least another six months of where we're at right now. They're starting to see stuff open up, but just trade and shipping and getting it to us has been the, you know, or one material is missing to be able to make the product that they need.
0: Are you seeing supply issues on anything other than traditional construction or raw materials,
1: yeah, hundred um, percent. We've been fortunate enough that we have a large inventory. We warehouse probably close to forty thousand square feet of just material for our own use. Um, but we've placed orders, in you know, a year ago that still haven't been fulfilled yet. So it's really just going and getting whatever you can get your hands on and stocking up on stuff.
0: Wow, you've placed orders a year ago that you haven't got your hands on. I know the consumer had a challenge to get toilet paper and paper towels at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was wondering what your challenges were. And there's still things you ordered over a year ago that you have not received yet. Yeah. Wow. It's
1: uh, it's definitely been challenging to navigate those things that if you're planning on and in the same token, we've seen material that gets quoted out on 12 weeks that gets delivered in six. So it's, it's constantly juggling, you know, material, uh, orders and when they're coming in, whether they're early, late, or non-existent. So it's really, I think, part of it's finding the right vendor to place the
0: order with as well. Wow. So give us some context of size, East End Group. How many employees is this? So we're about 150 employees. Um,
1: We're Self-performing markets is pretty much the whole East Coast. Um, We do have people nationally, um, but we do a lot of travel for our customers too as well. So I'd say from our branches, we travel about 200 miles from every branch. Um, So that covers probably around 65% of the country um, with tradesmen. And the rest is with, uh, you know, project management staff. And we more take a backseat role on the facilities, more of just uh, the typical trades. But we'll take a more holistic approach and look at it as... uh, You know, management of that process and creating those structures that we perform in our self performing markets and bringing those to their existing vendors.
0: Of the, not just self performing, but anything you all do, what is your primary line of business?
1: (laughs) My favorite is snow removal. (laughs) Snow removal is what we live for. Um, We're a snow 365 day year operation here. Um, And the other services that we provide are ancillary or backup services to that. And it keeps our employees around all year round for snow season so we kind of look at it the backwards approach of most snow removal companies that are a landscaping firm or a construction firm that then do snow in the winter to get them through the winter we look at it the opposite way if we're a snow firm that provides other services to keep people around the best talent around for our snow season
0: got it so this was a good year This was a very good year. (laughs) This is a good snow year for you. All right. Let's get into knowing Ryan a little better. I got three questions for you, Ryan. You ready? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Question one. What is one thing most people agree with that you do not?
1: Most people would agree that the pandemic and all this stuff has slowed down things or have been able to take a, you know, a a laid back approach where I look at it. It's a a bigger opportunity for people to grow into, um, that you should be working 10 times harder and not having an excuse for something.
0: All right. Question two, what is one skill you wish you had, but you do not possess? Speaking another
1: language, we deal with a lot of suppliers and a lot of different diverse uh, workforce and trying to communicate that would be key, you know, to be able to handle it yourself and not rely on someone else.
0: Such an interesting answer. I will tell you, I've asked that question a bunch. These are three new questions in 2021. That is the most common answer. Is it? Yeah. A lot of people really wish they spent the time to learn a second language.
1: I look back when I was in school, I took Spanish class as a joke and, you know, got through it the best I could, but I really wish I paid a little bit more attention then.
0: Sure. All right. Last question. When is the last time you tried something for the first time?
1: I would say a couple months ago, my girlfriend, she likes to uh, try new food and healthier stuff. And she's always making me try something, but usually I'll say no. And I I did a couple months ago with her. of trying food that i would probably not eat like what it was all healthy organic you know all on that kick of uh, stuff that i can't even pronounce the name of stuff that was in it
0: (laughs) so you tried like kombucha for the first time (laughs) it was a
1: shake of a bunch of stuff and i said this doesn't look normal but let's go for it
0: understood my wife and i from september to to December went on a plant-based diet. I've since eliminated red meat from my diet. I am not fully plant-based or vegan, but I haven't had red meat in a long time, so. Oh,
1: so I guess we're not going on a lunch of Peter
0: Luger's then. <laughs> no. All right. I want to move on over and we're going to talk about what, something I find interesting, which is the top 3 things a property owner needs to consider when hiring a facilities maintenance company. And so I'm excited to talk about these. Let's go to number one. What is the first thing that a property owner needs to think about when hiring a facilities maintenance company?
1: I would say the top thing is really understanding what the services that your vendor is providing and how they're providing them. So are you hiring a if you're hiring a construction firm, everyone, like we said in the beginning, you know we cover a wide umbrella of services, but what is really their focus and what are they self-performing, what are they brokering, what are they aggregating to get you that service? You know, Facilities is a 24-7 operation and most bad things that happen in our facility world don't happen between the hours of 9 and 5. They happen at 2 o'clock in the morning, they happen on a weekend, they happen on a holiday, they happen in the worst times than they could. Um, so really understanding your vendors capabilities. Hey, if you call at two o'clock in the morning, are they answering their phone? What service procedures do they have to handle that call at two o'clock in the morning?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good point. The, the, the type of service that you mentioned, because there's a lot of different types of service providers out there, right? There's, you mentioned self-perform, which means you're actually snow plowing. It's it's our trucks, it's our people,
1: it's our equipment. You know, we're able to make make the decision of this is how we're going to execute it. It's not, hey, um, you know, from a broker model. It's you know, relying on subcontractors and other companies to perform for you. So you don't have control over that. If you you know, if Chris is my plumber and my client calls me, I have to make sure that Chris can go there before I can commit to that, and it adds that time gap you know, that some sometimes isn't a luxury. Got it.
0: Do you find that there are more self-performing organizations than not, or are most companies using someone who's not self-performing?
1: I see the market as trends. And, you know, a couple of years ago, everyone went to more of the bigger aggregators in the market. Um, and I'd see slowly over the last year or so, uh, people have been trying to go back to that self-performance model, but they've lost that quality and, you know, in the work and management of it.
0: That makes sense. Okay.
1: Goes through, it goes through waves. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things people consider, whether it's pricing, service, and you kind of got to rank, you know, you can't get all, you can't get everything uh, from a supplier. So you have to kind of pick which is your priority.
0: Understood. Makes sense. All right. So the first one is the type of service they provide. What is the number two item that a property owner needs to consider when hiring a facilities maintenance company?
1: experience in the market and experience in their service what are they good at where are they going to excel um for you um what kind of quality control programs do they have in place what kind of reporting do they have what kind of transparency do they have transparency is huge in the facility maintenance world um are they going to say something's fixed you know a lot of portfolio managers we deal with don't have the luxury of going to the properties that they service you know on a daily basis So are you their eyes and ears on the property? Are they do they feel confident enough in the information you're relaying to them, whether it's by phone, an email, a text message that, hey, you're handling it with the right quality to get the job done. And when you say it's done, is
0: it really done? It's a great point that I think most overlook. You mentioned the experience and you mentioned you all do snow plowing are most people coming to you for snow plow first and then kind of that expands.
1: Um, it's a mix of both. We're known in the industry as a, you know, a serious player in the snow removal world. Um, but we have customers that come to us for all our services um, and snow is something that we o- always try to push them towards. Got it. That makes sense.
0: So when you're looking at new customers, you mentioned the 20 new customers you got for doing the mobile parks at utilities. They were new customers. Just curious today, are you with doing more than you were in April for them? A hundred percent.
1: We've got into all sorts of services with these uh, customers. We really try to consider ourselves partners for who we take on as clients as well. You know, I think it's important to have a, you know, it's not, we're, we're providing a service to you, but you also have to be able to provide us, you know, a comfort level to us as the service provider that we want to work for you. We want you to, you know, we don't want to feel like it's a burden when this customer is calling our, they're going to look at us the same uh, in the same light. So it's really about really both both sides of the coin feeling a mutual respect for each other and the services we're providing to each other. And, wanting to go to work and wanting to help them out and making their job easier.
0: All right. And the third one is one that, um, was an interesting one that I didn't, I didn't realize was going to be in the top three, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And what is number three? Emergency preparedness, emergency preparedness.
1: How is your vendor able to perform under, you know, last minute notice? Are they able to put their money where their mouth is? Um, can they perform something? Anyone can schedule a service call for two weeks from now and try to, you know, try to make that appointment. You know, look at uh, you know, look at the last time you called the cable company, and they, they give you a window from, you know, it could be there from ten to two o'clock uh, next Thursday. That's so right. When you have an emergency situation, you can't say, "Hey, I can get there tomorrow morning. I can get there next week." Are they able to jump at a moment's notice and be there for you? And that's really where I think a lot of vendors, the difference between a lot of vendors are. That's the moment to shine. And if they can't take that opportunity, that's a big, that's a big issue.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great one in the residential consumer world that everyone plays a part in. There's many service providers that don't want to play in that lane. They don't want to have to do that. And it's frustrating for a consumer in the business world, in, you know, the commercial business world, the business owners have no choice. They have to play in the emergency preparedness. So you need a partner who can deliver service that that meets those needs. How do you deal with in a time like covid when you have so many calls that are emergency or in a civil unrest in providing that service?
1: Big thing is being prepared, running these drills. Um, we have a very robust, uh, you know, back office platform that we use for all our scheduling and our dispatching and keeping track of that. Um, that plays a crucial role in dispatching and making sure things are checked off the list, especially on in times when things are coming in so fast that you can't remember what you did 10 seconds ago, you know, so having good logs of paperwork worth, worth of it, and then really being transparent with your customer and showing them that, you know, no one's going to get upset if you say, hey, we have, a, we have a situation here. We got these 10 things, but we missed this one. If you say you did them all and you say, hey, well, you missed this, you're going to be a little bit more upset than if I said, hey, I know I missed this, but I got 98% of them done, but we're working to address this. So I think being that transparent, and, you know, giving everyone the cards that you have, you know, showing everyone your cards on the table is, is crucial.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. You mentioned drills. Are you guys practicing things in a, for emergency scenarios?
1: A hundred percent. You know, from all, you know, we do it on, you know, just on our office side of, you know, incoming and how do we dispatch and prioritize things? Do we do it to our field operators? So we have, you know, in the snow world, we do snow rodeos in the, you know, in the summer, in the fall months to get guys prepared, show them, Hey, this is what a dispatch looks like. You know, we dispatch upwards of 500 people in a snow event. So just getting that in and out of who's going to what site, what equipment they're getting in. Um, and then on the back end of, Hey, this is what we expect from you on a, you know, reporting end of this is the information we need back for, for the customers. Every customer has a different requirement, whether they have a IVR system, you have to check in an app you have to check into, or, What information they need from the end of an event or the end of a service call that they need before and after photos. They need uh, time in and time out. They need a material breakdown, uh, whatever that requirement is and making sure everyone understands that going into it.
0: That's really interesting. You don't hear of a lot of businesses out there that are actually practicing before the event. So I find this fascinating, very cool. I'm sure that helps you guys tremendously. So kudos to you all for doing a new word I've heard, snow rodeos.
1: Yeah. No, 100%. You always have to be prepared.
0: Yeah. So, all right. I want to bring us to the last part of the interview called Retail Wisdom. I've got three more questions for you, Ryan. Here we go. Question one. What is the last item over $20 that you bought in a store?
1: Last item over 20 bucks. Was probably, uh, I went food shopping last night.
0: All so, right. Where do you go food shopping? We're at uh, stop and shop. All right. Where do you, where are you from? Long Island. Okay. All right. Question two, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead?
1: I'm going to have to go with Blockbuster. We All were right. talking about this the other night at dinner and, you know, I miss going and trying to, you know, I, I do miss that whole experience.
0: For sure. It's a good one. You know, Saturday night, let's go choose a movie. Let's read the back. Yeah, I actually I love the process of choosing a movie. My wife always gets frustrated because I'll sit and read a million, hit the info button on a million movies on Netflix. And my wife's like, please just choose something.
1: I do the same thing. (laughs) And then half the time I'll sit there for 45 minutes and say nothing looked good and I won't even watch anything.
0: I totally have done the same thing. Totally totally have done that. End up turning on some, you know, everybody loves Raymond or something. Yeah, exactly. You just go back to what you know he's good at. Let's go right back to this. All right. Uh, last question. If you and I went shopping Ryan at target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in
1: this one? So from my own experience, you'd probably find me back out in the car. <laughs> So I spend I get to spend a good amount of time at Target and I spend a lot of that time waiting. And there's actually a, there's a there's a cool video on YouTube. Uh, I know about, it. The husband's at Target. And you, you'd find me out there making friends in the parking lot. <laughs> Got
0: it. <laughs> great answer. All right. Well, listen, Ryan, this was great. I really appreciate it. I that, appreciate it as well. Thank you so much for catching up. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. Sounds good. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Take care, man. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retail retold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also. Don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.